it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. With me in studio, Senator Dan Sullivan. Uh, he's a busy guy. You know, he's not only a veteran, worked in the Bush administration. Uh, he's also on armed services, commerce, science, and transportation, environment, and public works, and, of course, veterans affairs. Karen Pence coming in at the bottom of the hour. The former second lady has a book out. And uh, we're also taking your calls because today the president of the United States extraordinarily is going to be on the picket lines. I guess picking a side uh, in this auto strike, so the UAW strike. So before we get to Senator Sullivan, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And so today under my leadership and under my direction... New York National Guard will deploy an additional 150 members to support the asylum seeker mission. 250 National Guard members will focus solely on case management. Isn't this amazing? We have over 1,002 full-time. It's costing this city over $1 billion just in hotel costs. This border is beyond busted, now a catastrophe. And don't let anyone tell you it's anyone but President Biden's fault. Number two. Before I let you go, do you think Speaker McCarthy will weather this? I do, and I, I mentioned before, I don't think anybody wants this job. Uh, it is a horrible, <laughs> you know, herding cats is a very difficult process, and when you've got cats with big egos in this building, uh, it is very difficult to do. Well, you're one of the problems, Ken Buck. Uh, debate two is tomorrow. We look at the Trump lead, his attacks, the rest of the field, and who could emerge from the surviving seven on stage to give him a true run for the nomination. All this as the House-led GOP is about to stop their momentum of their party cold by shutting down the government, it seems. Number one. Two of the great artists of our time representing the groundbreaking legacy of hip-hop in America, LLJ Cool J. Uh, by the way, that boy's got, that man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. Unbelievable. Bumbling Biden alienating a key group in his, uh, in his crass comments and ignorant policies alienating more daily. We look at the numbers and the rise of a third party that could kill his reelection ambition. Uh, Senator Sullivan, welcome. Brian, great to be back so on the I guess show. You, I love this show, and thanks for having me again. No, I, I appreciate you. you putting us on, on your list. Yes. I know you're going to be on with Stuart Varney on FBN soon. Yeah. But it's just, first, first off, the President of the United States spent 9-11 uh, in Alaska. Yeah. Patriotic place, I know, but still, do you think that was appropriate? Well, look, what's not appropriate is what he's doing to Alaska, right? He shows up to Alaska, and he's crushing my state. He's How? crushing uh, – it's, and it's not just a problem for Alaska. It's a problem for the country. This is all about shutting down energy for America, shutting down critical minerals for America. You know, Alaska is one of the most strategic places in the world militarily, but we have incredible resources, oil, gas, critical minerals – and it's almost daily, daily that you hear the president of the United States or a member of his team taking another action against the great state of Alaska. Brian, we have had 55 executive orders or executive actions singularly focused on Alaska in this administration. Fifty-five. I have confronted the president on this directly, saying, Mr. President, 
This is outrageous. You know, if a Republican administration came in and singularly focused on, say, Delaware, and you were still a U.S. senator, you'd be on the floor every day raising hell. Well, that's what I'm doing. But when your listeners hear, hey, that hurts Alaska, yeah, it really hurts my state, my constituents, jobs, working families. But this is bad for the country, right? It's bad for the country. American energy is one of our great strategic assets, and this administration is hell-bent on shutting it down. So with, that's with that why. a strategy, keep keep in mind too. Uh, the Anwar was in the, the tax reform legislation to in drill. The law. How can you undo that with an executive order? You can you sue back? Oh, we're suing, hundred percent. We're uh, suing, and there, you're making a great point, which is we got it in the law, 2017. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act, Section Two of that was all about Anwar, and it says there shall be shall. You know that's a important term in the law. Two lease sales. And what they did, the, the Trump administration did one of the lease sales, and they came in and said, we didn't like the way in which they did it. We're going to yank the leases. It's completely illegal. But the other thing they did, same day, we have another part of Alaska called the National Petroleum Reserve of Alaska, NPRA, set aside by Congress decades ago for oil and gas drilling. And they just said, eh, we're not going to do that either. So you're making exactly the right point. This is a lawless administration. And you got to remember, whenever they take action or announce policies, what's going on? It's driven by the far left, most extreme elements of the Democratic Party. Unfortunately, Alaska is ground zero for that. But America, it hurts America, right? When when you're shutting down Alaska, it hurts America. The average gall- gallon of gas is three eighty eight. If you go to California, it's over six dollars. Yeah. So so three eighty eight is on the low side. But they say that's the average. Number two, uh, when you come to the strategic oil reserve, it is dangerous for the U.S. to have uh, de- depleted to this level and have no plan to replenish. No plan. How is that in our best interest? Well, I mean, what they've been using that, the SPRO, as we call it, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, as a political entity, whenever prices go low, they just tap it. That's not what it's supposed to be used for, right? It's supposed to be used for strategic emergencies when we need oil. But here's the thing. Day one, this administration has undertaken three actions with our, with regard to our energy sector, shutting down the production of American energy, killing pipelines and infrastructure that move energy. And, you know, we're here in New York City. Day one, they've been going to Wall Street, the big banks, pressuring the financial industry of America not to invest in American energy. And, of course, the predictable results are Prices go up. Working families have to pay more out of their budget. Begging the Saudis to pump more. And there you go. Begging not only the Saudis. These guys lifted sanctions on Venezuela. We're importing, Brian, over 100,000 barrels a day from Venezuela. So we're propping up that evil regime. And here's the final thing. If you care about the environment, which I do, certainly in Alaska, we have the highest environmental standards on the production of oil, gas, critical minerals, than any place in the world. Highest standards by far. So wait, you're going to shut down Alaska with the best standards on the environment in the world and go to Venezuela? doesn't give a damn about the environment. Emission profiles 20 times higher with an X than uh, an energy project in Alaska. It makes no sense uh, for the environment, for working families. But I'll tell you this, it's national security suicide. And we're going to... On bended knee, this president went to Saudi Arabia and uh, begged the Saudis, and, you know, they kind of— That pariah nation? 
Yeah, pariah nation. Dude, he now called them a pariah nation. Now they're begging, right? And all, what what does ninety dollar oil do? It certainly helps Putin. So um, um, yeah, it's an upside down policy in Alaska. Unfortunately, is ground zero. But to your point, we are fighting like hell. We're we're suing them. Um, and this is not just important for Alaska. As I said, it's important for America. Right. I mean, and Alaska is environmentally conscious as any state in the country. Any place and, in the world. Yeah. You got to be kidding me. You're not looking to uh, do anything to hurt uh, to anything in that state. But let's talk about this. Let's talk about the shutdown. It looks as though the you guys have done your appropriation spells. And I have not looked inside them, but there's 11 there are done. Yeah. The de- Republicans said they were going to do that in the House. And I was fine for that. That's regular order. For some reason, I thought it would be a good idea not to do it. Now they've gotten a handful done. They should have come back in August or Zoom called it, whatever they needed. Having said that, they said we need a CR for the time being. But you have five Republicans from Matt Rosendale. I think it's Ken Buck, too. Um, it'll be, uh, Congressman Gonzalez. Uh, uh, Andy Biggs, just not, they're not going to vote for it. We're we're tired of spending on Nancy Pelosi's levels. We're not going to vote for it. So now the government's going to shut down. Republicans are going to get blamed. Are you okay with that? No, I'm not okay with it. And look, Speaker McCarthy has a has a hard job, right? But this uh, circular firing squad mentality it it, it doesn't help anybody. I don't. I, I'm I'm honestly Matt Gates. I'm, well, I'm just looking over. They're trying to figure out what the end game is, and um, I can't figure it out. Right? It's a circular firing squad. Look, you got to make tough decisions. I don't like CRs, but to your point, um, one of the most important things we can do in the Congress, which we used to do all the time, is bring appropriations bills out in, in terms of regular order yeah. out of the committee. And start voting on them. Whether you like them or not, it's a hell of a lot better than these omnibuses, these giant, massive bills at the end of the year. So we need a CR to get us through this. The House should have been here, in my view, uh, working on these, to your point. But I hope we don't do this circular firing squad. We will be blamed for it. And I'll tell you this, Brian. um, Last week, Senator Cruz and I were on the Senate floor trying to pass my bill and his bill. It's the uh, Pay Our Coast Guard bill. I'm going to bring on the Senate floor this week. In the event of a government shutdown, pay our military bill, right? So this says, hey, if there's a government shutdown, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay the men and it's women who are defending this country. We'll see if the Democrats block it. Remarkably, remarkably, last week, my bill, Cruz's bill, which is bipartisan, uh, when there was a shutdown in 2019, all the members of the military got paid except the Coast Guard. And we love the Coast Guard in Alaska, so I said, hey, we're not gonna let that happen again. We went to the floor, tried to pass my bill. The Democrats, playing politics with our troops, blocked it. So we're going to try and do that again this week, make sure that if there's a shutdown, um, we are paying our troops, paying our Coast Guard. Well, I want you to hear Speaker McCarthy try to explain this, cut 12. I feel we made some progress. We'll know whether Tuesday night that we have that. But we've had a number of people who say that they would vote for the rule. I'll never tell you the exact number. I've had people tell me, switch and vote for it, and somebody decides to switch and vote the other way. So I'd leave that up to the whip. So and they're t- they might vote on him. Matt Gates wants to him out uh, to come forward. So they're going to have a vote on that. Democrats are sitting there. Do you realize, I think it's an excellent chance, you'd know better than me, that moderate Republicans might just say, screw it. Uh, we'll go make a deal with Democrats yeah, on the House would, side. That wouldn't be helpful either. Here's the thing. Once again, we're doing this circular firing squad um, routine over at the House, Republican on Republican shooting. And yet 
Brian, we have such a target-rich environment with this administration. They're the worst. And the Democrats. I mean, look at whether it's the border, whether it's the military, whether it's inflation, whether it's how much Biden um, forgets working families and always aligns himself and his party with the radical far-left environmentalists. We need to kind of unify. You got to, yeah, of course, you got to make some uh, compromises within your own party. But like I said, the the target should be the Democrats and their policies, right. not each other. Speaker has a tough job, and um, but I do hope the they bills. get through this week. Yeah, but yeah, do do the bills. When we come back, I want to get your take on Senator Menendez. You know, innocent till proven guilty. I get it, but I've never seen anything so specific. And detailed as this indictment, it has three Democratic senators saying he should resign and the Democratic governor of his state. Don't move. We have uh, Senator Sullivan here. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The bills are being worked on. You just heard Jim Jordan say that they are efforting four bills this week, appropriations bills this week to get through. That would partially fund the government. Uh, The defense bill as well. You wanted the defense bill to move forward. Did you not? Yes, that's why I voted for it, and I voted for the rule to proceed on to it. Well, he's doing the four bills next week. Because we're making him. Because we're making him. he's doing it. So to push now, to blow up all of the wins that you all have had now. Which wins? Please enumerate them. So that is Matt Gaetz fighting with Maria Bartiroma that uh, Kevin McCarthy's terrible. Uh, He has not done appropriations bills and not enough wins, and James Comer's not aggressive enough. With me right now to talk about this on the other side is Senator Dan Sullivan, Republican on the Senate side. Senator, this is the the argument they're having. Again, Brian, I think what's uh, frustrating, I think, for most Republicans is that we get into power over in the House. We need it. Uh, We need to be in power in the Senate. And then we have this circular firing squad that, again— I listen to the debates. I watch the debates. I don't understand what the end game is at all right now. And, you know, like I said, we're trying to prepare this week in the event that there's a shutdown. I don't think we're going to win anything with regard to a shutdown. But I'm trying to pass my legislation to make sure we pay our troops, make sure, you know. uh, Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, Let's talk about Senator Menendez Here's what Nancy Pelosi said after reading the indictment, cut 29. The charges are uh, formidable. It'd probably be a good idea if he did resign. So that, uh, along with uh, uh, three Democratic senators and the Democratic governor, 
from what you've seen on Menendez, the charges, what do you think? Look, I have not read the indictment, and um, they're very serious charges. I think it was smart for him to step down as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee at this juncture. Um, And if proven, you know, I think he should face the full consequences of the law. But go through the cycle. Don't quit. Well, I mean, I'm going to let the Democrats kind of make the call on that. And and here's one re- one reason. In Alaska, we have a little bit of history in these kind of things, right, with the feds coming out swinging. I'm not defending Menendez at all, but as you've seen in Alaska, I'll give you an example. I'm in Ted Stevens' Senate seat, right, the great late senator from Alaska. He had federal prosecutors coming at him saying he was corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. They indicted him. They convicted him. Guess what? And ended up that the federal prosecutors were the ones who were, were corrupt. So I'm not saying that's the case with Menendez. Sounds seems like a lot of evidence, but um, we have a long history in Alaska of federal overreach where you got to be a little skeptical. He's innocent until proven guilty, and um, I'll let All the right. Democrats keep calling for his resignation. And um, but uh, our, my state's history. Okay. A little bit of skepticism with Let's regard talk about to Ukraine. You're, mil- you're, you're a military guy, um, and you got military base over in Alaska. A lot, of right. a lot of Republicans are jumping off the Ukraine should be uh, giving weapons to win bandwagon. Is Senator Dan Sullivan? No, I think we need to continue to provide military aid. I think it's uh, strongly in the national security interest of the country. Do you but think this president explains that? No. Ever? No. And look— Here's the issue. I mean, let, uh, one thing, it's frustrating for Republicans. It's frustrating for America's, Americans. Why? Well, I think there's no doubt in my mind, and I've heard this from leaders all over the world, Putin would not have undertaken the invasion had it not been for the incredibly botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. That sent a signal of weakness that, to me, was one of the precipitating elements of the entire invasion. So that's where... That's what happened. That's in the past. But it's also, Brian, I think strongly in our interest to look at the broader aspects of what's going on. We're in a new era of authoritarian aggression led by Putin and Xi Jinping, and um, they are willing to invade their neighbors. They're working together. Uh, when they are, when authoritarian dictators are on the march, it does not end well. And so um, is there frustration? Yeah, I've been pressing this administration from day one. Get the weapons that the this the Ukrainians need now. Every single major weapon system that they need, the Biden administration is delayed, delayed, delayed. You know the list is very long. Stingers, high Mars, Patriot missiles, tanks, tanks arrived yesterday. Javelins, promised in June. F sixteens now attack them. We have been pressing them for months now, over a year. So there, there's this self-deterrence element where they don't want to win. They're not using our American energy as a, a great strategic advantage. So there's a frustration. Gotcha. I get it, but, you know, I, I understand it. I but it, feel but it. the cause is worth it. Senator Sullivan, thank you so much. Right, Brian, great to be on the show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, with me right now is the former second lady of the United States, could be first lady next. I'm talking about Karen Pence. Uh, she has a brand new book out, When It's Your tar- uh, Turn to Serve. And it's great to see you, uh, Karen Pence. Welcome to the show. Thank well, you, Well, welcome Brian. back, I should say. Yeah, welcome back. That's I mean, right. between you, your daughter, and your husband, you guys are always writing books. Yeah. yeah you That's have a right. whole library of your own stuff now. And, you know, Charlotte helped me with this book, too. She's Charlotte Pence Bond now, but she, she helped me with organizing this book. So, yeah, she's an, an amazing writer. Doesn't she work in publishing? She works, actually. Uh, she does some stuff for Daily Wire. She does stuff for Save the Storks. She actually co-wrote Mike's book that comes out in November called Go Home for Dinner. Wow. Uh, For family-oriented, it sounds like. So for you, what made you write this book? Because thinking about your journey, you've been in Congress, been in the House, right? You've been in the minority, been in the majority. And then you go back and go, I'm going to run a state, which is a a challenge unto itself. And then you become a vice president, and now you're a candidate for president. So that's when you thought, I better jot this down. You know, actually, I decided to write this book before we even made the decision to run for president um, because I wanted to talk about the things that we accomplished in the office of the second lady and when I was first lady of Indiana. You know, we're kind of on the back burner. We're not in the news a lot. But, Brian, we did so many great things for military spouses, art therapy. Um, I talk about Special Olympics. I talk about uh, preventing veteran suicide. We also did a lot with honeybees, believe it or not. So this book is very uplifting. It tells lots of fun behind-the-scenes stories. And we kind of wove the bees all the way through the book. And it's just a very light, uplifting, encouraging book. You know what I, I thought about you guys, because I know it's not true. Nancy Pelosi came out and was asked to, what do you think of Kamala Harris? He goes, well, vice presidents, they don't do much. There's not much for her to do. <laughs> really? That, that's your choice. If you choose not to be active, I guess you can get away with it. But describe the life for yeah. Vice President Mike Pence and Second Lady Karen yeah. Pence. Yeah, we were very, very busy and very active. Uh, my staff was phenomenal, and we accomplished so many great things. But I, I think, you know, the the thought behind the book is, okay, yes, we were elevated to such an amazing position, but – I want to encourage the reader, however God is calling you, if he's asking you to, uh, you know, lead the block party in your neighborhood or, or run for PTA president, if you feel that call, go ahead and step out and you will experience his grace. And if I had not trusted him and stepped out and said, okay, let's do this, it just tells all the things that I would have missed. And you, and you, I did not know that you lost your first two races. You and- We did. So you lost your first two races. Yeah. And you go for a third race as you start to start a family. But what was different about this time? You know, this time we felt the calling. And that's what I really make the distinction in the book. There are two types of people in Washington, we were told by a close friend early on, those who are driven and those who are called. And we felt called to run the third time that we ran for Congress. And you know, Brian, it's a great thing we didn't win the first two times because we were pretty full of ourselves. We thought we were going to be God's gift to Washington, D.C., and we were so arrogant. The third time was completely different. We had three kids. It was a very serious decision, and it was a sense of service. And that's what I talk about in the book is – you know, it's it's our turn to serve. And so for the reader, when it's your turn to serve, go ahead and step up because, you know, life is short. And we felt the same thing running for president. I mean, it's like this is a calling. Mm-hmm. We felt called to enter this race. So were you not as religious uh, in the first two races? Did you come to 
uh, more of a, a Christian ethic afterwards? Yes, and Mike wrote a great piece uh, that he put in his book um, that is uh, um, Confessions of a Negative Campaigner. So we did all the things, you know, that you that honestly America is sick of right now, the negative campaigning, the bashing your opponent. And we did all of that in our first two races in the 80s. And then we felt like we missed an opportunity just to further the conservative cause. And so when we ran the third time, it wasn't so much about, okay, we, we have to win. It was about we're running to serve. And if God wants to lift us up, he can. Right. And he did. <laughs> so how, how hard has it been? Uh, eventually, you're going to be in the same state. Mike will be on the same stage as, as Donald Trump. This, I don't remember in my lifetime that ever happening before. And that's a guy he supported because he was vice president. Maybe he would have done it differently, clearly. But the, but the issues are the same. Do you feel it's the same thing now in 2023, 24? Will he have a hard time separating himself from policies that he backed? Oh, you know what? No, because 100 percent in 2015, they ran as conservatives. They served as conservatives, as you know, Brian. But the president is stepping away from that conservative calling right now. And Mike is clinging to it. You know, he's given a lot of uh, speeches lately about populism versus conservatism. And he's sticking with those tried and true values that served the Trump-Pence administration so well. So honestly, I think it'd be great if the president was on the debate stage tomorrow. Uh, He needs to get out there and be on the stage with everybody and let the American people see everybody together and make their choice. So do you believe um, do you believe that the first debate gave the vice president, your husband, a lot of confidence? And I think Vivek (laughs) deserves a big assist on that because there's such a difference between your stand well, and it's interesting. Mike likes to talk about how, you know, when you're vice president, see, he was governor, so he had a lieutenant governor. So he understands the role of the number two person and the role of the number one person. So a lot of people didn't really know Mike as a fighter like you did in Congress. I mean, he was a mm-hmm. fighter in Congress. Taking on Barack Obama all the oh, time. All the time. I mean, he was out there all the time pushing and And so the first debate was a chance for people to see this is the real Mike Pence. He's not serving as vice president standing in the shadows anymore. He's out there talking about the things that he believes in. So here's an excerpt from your book. Mm -hmm. And back to the bees, you were saying. Yeah, the bees. Uh, The bees work isn't easy or quick. They don't immediately see the fruits of their labor. They travel far and wide, work diligently like the bees journey. Mine was going to require diligence, patience and trust. Whenever life takes on an unexpected turn, I have thought about the bees and how God perfectly designed them for the task at hand and how he has done the same for me and will help me along the way. Mm-hmm. You want to expand on that? You know, it's it's so interesting because when I became first lady of Indiana, we started a beehive at the governor's residence. And then when I became second lady, the first thing I asked was, do we have bees at the vice president's residence? We have them at the White House. And they said, no, there's no beehive. So we started a beehive, and it's been fascinating to me to watch the bees. And every time, like, oh, I, I would travel with Mike around the world, we would visit beehives in any country we went to, any state in the United States. And to see 
uh, how God created these bees has been fascinating, and it's taught me a lot about myself. It's also something we use a lot with our veterans, Brian, because our veterans, when they come back, if they have PTSD and they don't feel like they're part of that team anymore, mm-hmm. we're teaching them how to be beekeepers. And when they – there's something therapeutic about working with the bees, and it's, it's uh, you know, cathartic. I mean, it's so – uh, therapeutic and and they're now a part of this team again and they're taking care of these bees and it's been fascinating to see the different programs that we have for veterans with bees uh it's so interesting and yeah i remember snl had fun with the fact that you and melania are from different backgrounds uh <laughs> how did you guys get along you know what melania was phena- phenomenal she was fabulous uh very kind person um she kind of did her thing and we did ours um, one of the things I was careful to do as second lady, I didn't want to be doing too many things because I was the second lady. I'm not the first lady. And so we really wanted her to shine. I would always tell my staff, our job is to support what's going on at the White House. That's our job. Our job is to support Melania. Our job is to support the president. And that's really how we saw our role. I'm sure and, she appreciated that. I, I think she did. She was just, I mean, every time I, I did anything with her, she was very kind. If she wasn't going to be at an event, I said, you know, I don't need to show up at that event. I mean, I, you know, if she's not there, I'm not going to go. And then if she was somewhere and wanted me to come, I was happy to go. And did you, what was the deciding point where you thought this was the right time for you to run for president? You know, Brian, it's it's interesting, and I you know, in the book, I talk a lot about faith. Um, for Mike and I, you know, we've been married 38 years. And when we started looking at this around Christmas, uh, we talked to our kids about it. And it was like, I don't know, is this something we should do right now? We started reading the Bible together every morning. And we did it this morning. Uh, every morning since January 1st, we've read through, you know, those Bible versions you can get that are read through the Bible in a year, and they have your readings for the day. And I started to feel like, I think God is calling us to this. I think he wants us to step forward for whatever his purpose is. Uh, We both felt, I would say it was around Easter where we both felt like, I think we're supposed to be in this race. I think we're supposed to run one more time. And and make ourselves available to serve. I know I said to my daughter, Charlotte, who helped me with the book, I said, I mean, I just don't know, Charlotte. I mean, run, you know, again. I mean, I kind of thought we were out of this lifestyle. And she said, Mom, maybe you need to read your book. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. And you said that it's been energizing being in New Hampshire and Iowa. In what way? Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting to be in New Hampshire and Iowa because – they take their role seriously, knowing that they're the first primary and the first caucus. And like in Indiana, by the time our primary rolls around in May, the decision's pretty much been made. So people in Indiana don't engage as much early on. But in Iowa and New Hampshire, I mean, we do so many town halls. We do so many events. You've been to Iowa a lot too, I know. And, you know, they're just so interested and they take their role very seriously. Someone in New Hampshire said to me recently, you know, we know that we're not choosing the nominee in New Hampshire. What we're choosing is these are the top maybe two or three people that you need to give another look at America. Mm -hmm. And so they take it very seriously and it's, it's refreshing. 
Are, do you have a uh, – have you gone to South Carolina? Yeah, South Carolina. Have you gone to Nevada? Yeah, Nevada, yeah. Nevada, so yeah. Those, those would be Nevada, the first. Yeah, that's next. And yeah. New Hampshire hasn't even set their date yet. They haven't set their date, but I've heard I think it has to be within two weeks of the caucus in Iowa. So, so I think it will be in January. I, I listen. Nobody thinks that Joe Biden's a conservative, but how would you how would you grade him if I had to give you Joe Biden? Yes. Yeah, he's definitely not a conservative. Yeah, that's good. I think we'd say that. <laughs> what, what do you think of his performance when you look at the border? When you look at what's happening mm-hmm. right now in this country? The the border is a frightening thing, honestly. I mean that that to me, uh, I think, is one of the things that needs to be taken care of. We day lost one. track of eighty thousand kids, oh, eighty four thousand. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, and the and the sex trafficking that's going on, and and it's it's just heartbreaking. It's not good for the people coming across, and it's not good for the people where where they're settling on the streets. I mean, it it's just it's horrific. Really, it is horrific. So is this the first time you can remember Democrats complaining about Democrats? Republicans are always great at that, uh, <laughs> blaming each other. But this is the first time I'm seeing a Democratic mayor of New York, Democratic governor of New York. Yeah. I'm seeing Democratic mayors on the border cities of Eagle Pass uh, and Rio Grande. They're coming out and saying, listen, this is unsustainable and we feel abandoned. Mm-hmm. Does that give you a sense yeah. that this country's ready for a change? Yes. And the numbers are just overwhelming. And, you know, Mike is the one who... Uh, negotiated the remain in Mexico. Uh, and so for him, it's it's a little bit personal, too. He's like, you know, we, we had this down on the Trump-Pence administration. We had this – we had cut uh, illegal immigration by 90, 95 percent. He's blaming you guys. Yet yeah. Friday, he blamed Republicans. <laughs> I they broke – my predecessor broke the border. Unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. But I guess that you're used to the brawl of politics. Yeah. So give me an idea from knowing that we had eight people on the stage last time. We're going to have seven this time. Tomorrow night, Dana Perino, Stuart Varney, um, and one other from Univision, one other anchor, uh, are going to be moderating. What do you expect now with seven? You know, I think I think some people are going to be, you know, still antagonistic, throwing jabs. But I think it's time to kind of start talking about how you're going to govern and – um, I think that's why, you know, of course, Mike's my husband, but I do see him as the most qualified. I mean, he's the most experienced. He's the most tested, uh, especially with January 6th. And he he knows the world players. He knows most of the governors. He knows most of the members of Congress. He would know what to do on day one. And and so I'm hoping he's able That'll to share the message that message. That you want to bring up. I, that's what I hope. I hey, don't know. <laughs> hey, to get the inside story and find out what it was like uh, to be in Karen Pence's shoes over the last 36 years married to Mike, <laughs> uh, pick up When It's Your Turn to Serve. It is now out today. Uh, Karen Pence, former second lady, maybe future first lady. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Great to see you. When we come back, one 408 7669 Don't move. Brian, kill me, Joe. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Just finishing up this hour. Uh, it was great to have the second lady, Karen Pence, here and Senator Dan Sullivan. Uh, I hope you got something out of that. But I've not discussed a few things. Number one, 
uh, when it comes to what's happening today. The president of the United States is going to be actually picketing with the UAW workers in Detroit. And I'm thinking to myself, really? You're going to be okay with 32-hour work weeks? You're going to be okay with a 40% raise? I'm not, I'm pro-worker within reason. But why would he take a position? I could see voicing support. This is all in response and to me shows a degree of panic. I did not know this, but on Labor Day, he was asked by the president of the UAW to go down there and show support. And he said no. Yeah, no, not right now. It's not going to work. Why? He probably has to go to Delaware, prompts him. He had his beach chair in his hand. Uh, number two is this is a response. This is in a response to President Trump going there tomorrow. No question. And why? Because this isn't pure labor versus management, which is easy for Democrats to go, oh, of course I'm for labor. Part of the reason why they're protesting, because they feel they've got to get everything together now, because with the advent of the subsidized electric car, they're going to be pushing the uh, that type of uh, those type of cars, which they say takes 40 percent less of the workforce. So if you have 40 percent less of the workforce and many of the electric cars are being built in right to work states, your power is going to be diminished with each passing year. Now, hybrid engines would be a different story. But for some reason, unlike Japan and South Korea, we are not pushing hybrid engines. So there you go. The president is going to be sitting there, the president of the United States with oak tag and, and a uh, two by four in his hand. I, I don't think that's becoming. Plus, I don't think he should be walking much. I think it puts too much into play, especially when he makes gaff after gaff. One, listen to this. President Biden, a couple of days ago, on Hip Hop Celebration Day, cut one. Two of the great artists of our time representing the groundbreaking legacy of hip hop in America, LLJ Cool J. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that boy's got, he got, man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. That boy? That boy's got biceps as big as my thighs? And you don't know LL Cool J? who has been famous for over 30 years. Listen, I don't cu- I'm don't. i not a rapper, although Master P is the best guy ever, thinks I'm really cool for someone who doesn't rap. Uh, that's about it. But I won't pretend to be a rap expert. I won't pretend to be a music expert. I'll tell you what I like. I'm all ears about learning. But I know who LL Cool J is. He's also on one of the top series in the country. He's an actor. It's embarrassing. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, 48th and 6th. Uh, heard around the country, around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Congressman Mike Gallagher, Chairman of the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the U.S. and China. Man, is that important. Uh, and also, a little bit later, we'll do a simulcast with Stuart Varney's show. I'm not sure if he's hosting it or not from California, where he's going to be moderating. Uh, but we know this. The President of the United States is going to be picketing with the UAW. It's going to be bizarre uh, to see him out there in Detroit picking a side so flagrantly like this in the middle of negotiations. It seems to be an answer to what Donald Trump's doing tomorrow, and that's uh, speaking to Detroit. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And so today, under my leadership and under my direction, New York National Guard will deploy an additional 150 members to support the asylum seeker mission. 250 National Guard members will focus solely on case management. 
There you go. Uh, Governor Kathy Hochul spending all of our money on National Guard, hotels, billions on hotels and accommodations for illegal immigrants because our border is busted. It is a catastrophe affecting all 50 states. Number two. Before I let you go, do you think Speaker McCarthy will weather this? I do, and I, I mentioned before, I don't think anybody wants this job. Uh, it is a horrible, <laughs> you know, herding cats is a very difficult process, and when you've got cats with big egos in this building, uh, it is very difficult to do. Yeah, that's Ken Buck. Debate two is tomorrow. We look at the Trump lead, uh, his attacks, the rest of the field, and what could emerge from the surviving seven on stage uh, and give them a true run for the against Trump again for this nomination. All this as the House-led GOP is about to stop their momentum cold by shutting down the government, it seems. Number one. Two of the great artists of our time representing the groundbreaking legacy of hip-hop in America, LLJ Cool J. Uh, by the way, that boy's got, that man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. Bumbling Biden alienating a key group as his crass comments and ignorant policies alienate more daily. We look at his numbers and the rise of a third party that could just kill his reelection. Let's join. Uh, let's uh, bring in Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you. Uh, I know you're not one of those holdouts uh, on a continuing resolution. Uh, what is your message to Matt Rosendale and Andy Biggs? I'm sure who you're friendly with, and Matt Gates. Well, if we can't pass the most conservative version of a CR, you know, with border funding or CR with a little bit of defense funding or, or whatever the most conservative thing in the House is, and nobody's going to get 100 percent of what they want, then we're going to get jammed by the Senate. Senate happens to be controlled by Democrats, by Chuck Schumer. So if, if we don't stay united, we put our we surrender our leverage and we put ourselves at the mercy of the Senate. And we're going to have to eat what comes out of the Senate. Um, so that's my concern. And time time is running out. Now, I, I support the idea of passing 12 separate appropriations bills. Um, but we got to figure out a way to, to continue that work without walking into Chuck Schumer's trap. But the thing is, why I don't understand why you guys didn't do the bills. Um, the Senate got theirs done. Why didn't you guys get it done? Do you know? Uh, well, I've, I've long since uh, criticized the fun, what I view to be the fundamental problem in Congress, um, or among the top three, which is the divide between the authorizing committees and the appropriations committees. It dates back to the days when John Quincy Adams was in Congress. It makes no sense. It's become a recipe for chaos, and it's why we often stumble into the situation where we're waiting at the last second, and then we vote on an omnibus that's like 5,000 pages and nobody reads or a series of of minibuses. Um, maybe I'm biased as an authorizer, but it's just a bad way to do business. And you're basically concentrating power over spending in the hands of a very small number of people in Congress. Maybe the simple answer is the votes weren't there. The votes weren't there in the Appropriations Committee or on the House floor. Maybe we're now just discovering that publicly. But, you know, we got to We got to fix the basic budget process. And in my opinion, that involves bridging the authorizing appropriations divide, which now creates a lot of chaos every year. Uh, I mean, I just don't know how you get it done because it seems, Congressman, that then whatever you put out, the Senate's got to look at and the Senate's going to have a problem with. And then you got to debate it real quick and go forward with it, right? Yeah, um, that, that's the fundamental problem. Time, time's running out, which is why we shouldn't wait till the last second. Um, you know, Ron Johnson has, has a bill uh, called Preventing Government Shutdowns Act, which would create sort of incentives 
which would allow for short funding of the government and create a series of incentives designed to force us to do our job. But remember, Brian, when we passed the Fiscal Responsibility Act, Thomas Massey got a, a provision inserted that basically said if we're still operating under a continuing resolution by January of next year, if we haven't done our job, there's going to be an automatic across-the-board cut, 1% uh, to all federal agencies. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but if you measure that against the spending caps in the Fiscal Responsibility Act, it's a huge cut to defense and a relative huge increase to non-defense discretionary. So basically, in that scenario, if we don't figure this out, the progressives who just want to spend money on domestic Green New Deal programs and things like that, they win. And, you know, the, let's say the, the hawks in the Republican Party who want a more lethal military designed to deter a war with China, we lose big time. So those are the very real costs of this budget to function. And, of course, as you know, a decade ago we experimented with the defense sequester, and it was a total unmitigated disaster for the American military and created a readiness crisis that we're still dealing with. So right now, the we're going to be seeing seven, uh, six men and one woman on the one woman on the stage at the Reagan Library. Uh, it's not going to just be about the economy, just because it's on Fox Business. What answers do you want when it comes to, let's say, another area of your expertise, and that's defense in China? Well, uh, I want to see a few things. One, I think it's 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 most important for candidates to communicate. Um, just the threat, the nature of the threat we face, right? And, and you're at the Reagan Library, you're channeling Reagan, and beyond any specific policy issue, what Reagan did brilliantly was just talk unapologetically about the nature of the Soviet regime and communicate why it was such a threat to the American people, why it wasn't just some obscure military competition. It was an ideological threat to the very idea of America because it was a regime bent on extinguishing freedom. The same is true today in terms of the Marxist-Leninist regime we face in China. And to add on to that and to again channel Reagan, I, these candidates need to communicate, I think, a sense of optimism, a sense that we are the good guys in America, that our system and the values it protects are superior and therefore worthy of sacrificing for. If you then dig into the policy issues, uh, in my mind, the most important is what's your plan for rebuilding the military, right? Reagan had a 600-ship Navy our military, our, our Navy's going down to 280 by 2027 if we continue on the current path. Uh, the balance of power is growing less favorable. So what are you going to do to reform the Pentagon bureaucracy and provide the sustained smart funding necessary to build, rebuild the most lethal military in the world? In terms of technology, I think a fair question to ask is what restrictions would you place on American investments in China? What do you think of the Biden administration's executive order? And there's differences in the Republican Party on this issue. Some Republicans that are more favorable to Wall Street want no restrictions, while others think the Biden executive order is too weak. And then finally, I still think the issue of TikTok is fair game. You know, obviously, there's candidates have different views on it, but we're, we're at risk of allowing a Chinese-controlled company to be the dominant media platform in America. And I think that entails significant risks. For, the, for how we consume information going forward. And so those are some of the things I'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, number one, when it comes to China, I don't think that I have to tell you Sunday, this big story in the New York Times, how they're essentially walling off the South China Sea, telling us basically stay out, telling the Philippines don't try it. Vietnam, uh, Japan, they're walling it off. Economically, they're struggling, but militarily, they're muscling up. What do we do about this? 
Well, uh, a, a few things uh, I, I think uh, are obvious. Um, one, uh, we we really do need to pass a law that puts restrictions on money going into key sectors in China. And the pushback you get from the financial community is that, oh, you know, this is decoupling. You can't do this. This is not the way global capital markets look. But to your point, China is decoupling from us. China, the, the Secretary of the Air Force just said that the intelligence could not be clear. China is preparing for war. So if you think about what happened in Ukraine, multinational corporations were forced to take massive write-downs on their Russia exposure. It was painful, but they were able to do it. If we don't selectively decouple now before a crisis occurs – that's going to be incredibly, incredibly painful. Orders of magnitude more severe than what happened in Russia and Ukraine. It's why we did a war game. I brought the committee to New York. Uh, I saw you when I was there. It was a, a true pleasure to see you in studio. Yep. You look great. Um, Thank you. And, I agree. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, well, there's no debate about that point. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, uh, we, did a, we did a war game uh, with members of the committee and, and a lot of the financial elite. And it, it was horrific, the, the consequences of, of doing nothing right now. So to me, that's one of the, the key things we need to do. The harder thing in, in many cases, though, is to figure out in various in, uh, industries, whether it's pharmaceuticals, uh, whether it's rare earth and critical mineral mining and processing, how do we onshore and nearshore the production of that? And there, the Democrats just want massive government subsidies. But unless you pair that with smart deregulation, but you're never going to get the onshoring that we need because we've made it illegal effectively in this country to start a new mine, to process the materials we need. And these are materials we need for our weapon systems. So those are just a few ideas for how we can confront this issue of economic statecraft and, and the economic warfare that the CCP is waging against us. Uh, pretty fascinating. I want to bring you to the UAW. The president of the United States is going to be there picketing with the picketers, maybe for the first time in history. Cut 22. I think the UAW gave up an incredible amount back when the automobile industry was going under. They gave everything from the pensions on, and they saved the automobile industry. <clears throat> and if you take a look at the significant increase in salaries for the executives and growth of the industry, they should benefit from it. So, yes, I support, I always support the UAW. So, I mean, that's uh, no one has to tell you about Michigan. You're, you're right there in the Midwest. What, what is your take on this, on this, uh, all, all three automakers being right now looking at a limited walkout and a strike? Well, uh, a couple of things. I, I'm not, first, I hate to be uncharitable to the president of the United States, but I'm not sure Biden shuffling around on the ticket sign line is, is a great look. Um, I'm not sure what that solves. Um, uh, either do I. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is I, I, I actually went with the committee to Detroit. I talked to Ford, talked to GM, and in particular, we, we raised concerns with Ford's deal that it just canceled yesterday with a Chinese battery company called Cattle, C-A-T-L. And the concern was really using taxpayer dollars, Inflation Reduction Act dollars, to get in bed with the Chinese battery company and allowing that company to become the dominant player in the world, uh, which didn't make any sense to me. I'm glad that they canceled it. But I do think it's bound up in this bigger situation where – you know, if you're just a blue-collar worker at one of these companies and you see this massive forced rush to electric vehicles um, and you see all these new partnerships with foreign foreign countries popping up, 
it's going to raise a lot of concerns. And I have to believe that's at least correlated with some of the friction we're seeing there right now. Now, I understand that people are going to want to buy electric vehicles going forward. They're cool. You know, uh, I've driven one once. But my basic point is I and nor should my constituents subsidize the decision to buy that vehicle. And, oh, by the way, if, you're, if your concern is the environment, I've yet to see convincing analysis that you factor in the entire life cycle of an electric vehicle. That's actually better uh, for the environment. And, oh, by the way, where does the electricity come from, from I wonder? Right. Not coming from renewables. So it's a mess. Our energy policy is a mess, and I think the Biden's industrial policy is doing nothing to fix it. Well, there's no doubt about it. Plus, in a way, I don't know the play-by-play on all of it, but they basically told the big three, you better start doing electric cars. Okay. Well, you know, we need rare earth. Yeah, go get it. Really? Okay, where do we yeah, get it? Yeah. Well, in Minnesota, nope, not allowed to do that. In, in Nevada, nope, not allowed to do that. Just go get it. Well, where do we get it? Sooner or later, whether it's buying it from a um, a uh, the Congo itself or the China that owns a lot of these mines, you're buying it from them. So they all have to twist. And a lot of these auto workers got to be upset because the reason why the electric car is gaining uh, some popularity is because it's heavily subsidized to make and to sell. So they're they're having the game actually weighted against them, and they know that with the advent of electric cars, there's going to be less and less workers needed. Well, and then you have crazy states like California, which are outlawing internal combustion engines, yeah. right, on an incredibly aggressive timeline. I mean, the whole and, and then you confront this broader issue, which is we don't have the infrastructure necessary to to, to power all these electric vehicles. It'll create instability in our grid. So. You know, as we've talked about before, Brian, the tragedy of all of this is that we are surrendering what should be one of our biggest advantages relative to the Chinese Communist Party, which is our energy abundance relative to China's energy scarcity. But we are deliberately surrendering that advantage and making ourselves more dependent on a hostile regime, making ourselves more dependent on our greatest geopolitical adversary. It's, it's as if Xi Jinping himself designed our energy policy. It, I, I can uh, agree more, and I just want to hear people play this out. From Pete Buttigieg to the President of the United States, they put these policies out and they hide. Uh, and so we got that in the border. It's just crazy what's going on right now. These are all self-inflicted wounds. Uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, uh, Chairman of the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the U.S. and China. Thanks so much, Congressman. Thank you, sir. Now let's hear some foreign policy talk tomorrow. Uh, well, listen, I'll come back and take your calls and then uh, also get your emails at BrianKillMe.com. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Somebody has got to have been on some edibles or something else because, they, I mean, this, this poll is just, you know, off the charts. That does not mean that there's not huge red flags here. And what I do know is that you cannot take 
the Hispanic vote for granted because you're running against a racist. You can't take the woman vote for granted because you're running against a sexual harasser and sexual assaulter. <laughs> you can't take the black vote for granted because you're running against a racist. a racist. You can't take the gay vote for granted because you're voting against a party that wants to ban drag queens. You know, you can't take the intelligentsia vote for granted because you're running against a party that wants to ban books. The only way to run is to run hard, and I think Joe Biden needs to look at these, this poll, not be afraid of it, but yes, learn from it. People need to feel that the economy is better. The economy is better. Yeah. Two stronger years of mm-hmm. job growth. <laughs> but it's not enough to say it. People need to feel it. All right, that's a show you don't watch, The View, but they are telling Joe Biden, um, you better look at these polls, which has you losing to Trump by nine points. Uh, has your approval rating at 37%. It was Washington Post and ABC poll. I've never seen a major poll done by a major corporation, companies, dual companies, and they both say, oh, it's not too good. Why? It's an outlier. Well, okay. But if you look at the other things in which he graded terrible on, it's almost every single issue. He lost 18% of the black vote, 17% of the of the Hispanic vote. He's losing uh, men and women with high school diplomas. But, yeah, you should take notice. But is it necessary to come out and say just because you're running against a sexist and a racist? That's for former President Donald Trump. You think you could beat him again, but we've had a chance to see three years of Joe Biden. That's the big difference. And he's going to have to campaign this time. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Talk here today for Monday, September 25th, goes to the 46th president of the United States of America, Joe Biden. A lot of people are upset that Joe Biden referred to LL Cool J as a boy. Uh, as you can hear, he corrected himself on the spot. You know why Joe Biden corrected himself? Because he's 137 years old. He fully understands the word boy in the racial context around a white man referring to a black man as boy. See, boy is absolutely a white racist word when used in a certain context. So that is, uh, that is Charlemagne the God. Uh, talking about the use of boy again by Joe Biden when he was referring to LL Cool J on Hip Hop Day. And there's a fundamental problem with people trying to act cool when you're not and you're not supposed to be. No one expects you to be. Just be your age. Hey, you know, I didn't grow up with hip hop. I really respect what it is. And right now, a guy that's been doing it for 35 years, spell it out phonetically. At this point, every mistake matters. LL Cool J, the guy you were probably sitting with at the table, there's photographs with you on Christmas Eve with him. Why do you even need to read that off the prompter, period? And look, I think there's very few, there's hip-hop artists that are universal. He is one of them, I thought. But yet, see, Charlemagne, the guy, when he refers to him as a boy, that boy's got huge arms. That is not a good thing to say unless, of course, you feel uh, you have just not cognizant at all about the history of race relations in this country. And Charlemagne, the guy, let him have it. And I think that matters, especially when you see that he's lost 18 points in the black community. He's still got 63% of the vote, according to the latest poll, but he's lost 18 of those points. He goes on, cut three. Doesn't matter how many black people you have in your administration. Doesn't matter how many black people you have right for you. If it's not authentic to him, then it won't come off as authentic to anyone. Okay, y'all keep trying to make this 197-year-old man sound cool simply because he's talking to black people. And there's nothing more uncool than someone trying too hard to be cool. What's that quote? Uh, Don't try too hard to be cool. It always shows. And that's uncool. Yes, that is President Joe Biden.
And also, isn't Charlemagne the God uh, the one that President Biden said, if you wouldn't vote for me, you ain't black? So I'm pretty sure that was a little upsetting, even in retrospect. To me, it's nuts to say that. And what's crazier, he got a total pass on that. So then you have a, a history of this, too, of, of people maybe going back in time. Here's Joe Biden. Cut four. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Well, I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers. They don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants. Exactly. Great point. Entrepreneurs need lawyers and accountants, and if you're black, you can't get any. They just won't work for you. Yeah, it's 1910. Unbelievable. But it doesn't seem to matter that much unless people want to bring it up. And people misspeak all the time, especially when it comes to race and there's nuances. But this is pretty much a pattern. And remember the uh, the gratuitous Hillary Clinton pretending as if she's out in the breakfast club, the same show. Listen to her. See what's in her, see what's in her bag. Cut five. What's, what's something that you always carry with you? Hot Just, sauce. Really? You, yeah. Yeah. Hot sauce. Really? Yes. <laughs> Does anyone think that was sincere? Well, I mean, that was part of the reason she lost. Inauthentic. You know, Joe always says he's blue-collar Joe. He's Scranton Joe. Uh, but then he makes up millions of stories around that story. So we'll see if people are going to buy it this time and really question almost everything he says. Also... The problem is now we see him almost every day not doing interviews, some one press conference, and we don't see him do interviews and sit downs, but we see him making speeches yesterday in addressing the Pacific Island nations, one of which is uh, 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 Papua New Guinea, which is going to be a strategic location for a military base that he was supposed to visit, but he went back, canceled the visit. It's going to be a military base, and it's going to be very, uh, very key for us, strategically key for us, because of its location right off the coast of Australia, I believe. Here's what he said yesterday in addressing them. Cut six. So today I'm pleased to announce we're working with Congress to invest $40 billion in our Pacific Islands Infrastructure Initiative. We call it the PPI. Anyway, it doesn't matter what we call it, but that's what it is. I was going to get back to acronyms, and I'm going to, I'm going to withstand not doing that. If you're part of those Pacific Island nations, and you're like, you can't even name the nations? How many miles did they go? How many Was that a 20-hour flight? Can't even name my nation? So this is the issue. And that's why a lot of and people are writing me now saying, Have, has anyone asked Joe Biden? Here's what uh, Kieran just wrote me. Hey, Brian, always watching, okay, watch and listen. I have the opportunity to watch. I have a question. Has anyone asked Joe Biden's spokesperson if the president will debate the Republican nominee, even if he ends up being President Trump? Just wondering. I don't think he will. I mean, I think he should. I think tradition will have it. I don't think he'll get the proper pressure to do it because people know the more he talks, the less of a chance he's going to win. So here is President Trump yesterday. Responding to the Washington Post poll, the ABC poll, which they're trying to dismiss, that has Trump winning by nine. Cut seven. You know, when the Washington Post, ABC came out with their big numbers that I was leading by 10 points, do you know that ABC wouldn't put the numbers on 
Do you know that ABC and The Washington Post said this must be an outlier, meaning the numbers that they spend millions of dollars on polling, the numbers must be wrong. It was their poll. And that I watched. They didn't want to put the numbers on, so they covered the minor numbers underneath, but they didn't want to put the numbers on, and they didn't. Now, these are corrupt people. It's crazy. I mean, I don't blame him for being a that, That's a perfect talking point, too. But the but the underlying numbers were even worse because it breaks down issue by issue. And Trump wins on almost every issue. People are blatantly unhappy. Now, can you imagine spending your own your whole summer selling Bidenomics, which is his economic principles, whatever they are? And then finds out that only 15 percent, 23 percent of the American public approve of your economic principles. That's pretty terrible. While when in doubt, it's always set to vilify. Remember, uh, Obamacare was remarkably unpopular. The economy was struggling. The president was on his apology tour. We didn't give Ukraine anything except blankets and MREs. So President Obama's strategy under David Axelrod and Jim Messina and others was to rip down and tear down Mitt Romney. They're going to make Mitt Romney some rich guy that wants to destroy your lives and doesn't like black people, which we know none of that is true. And Democrats would tell you that. Remember, they said everyone knows Mitt Romney doesn't pay taxes. And Harry Reid said afterwards, I made it up, but it worked. People believe me. So now President Biden's got one move. Make Republicans seem like extremists, lunatics. Cut nine. Let there be no question. Donald Trump and his MAGA Republicans are determined to spread anger, hate, and division. They seek power at all costs. They're determined to destroy this democracy. I cannot watch that happen, nor can you. Right. So the president's thinking about it, MAGA. Why do you keep saying this? Do you even know what it means? He brought that up yesterday in South Carolina. Cut eight. You know, Biden's always said MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. If you said, what does MAGA stand for? I guarantee you he couldn't, ask, he couldn't answer I said, MAGA means make America great again. I guarantee you, if you said, uh, Mr. Biden, explain to me, what does MAGA mean? What does it mean? He would say, ah, uh, radical, radical. No, it means make America great again. We want to make America great again. And now we have to do it all over again because they've destroyed large pieces of what we did. Uh, there's no question. I mean, the president's got to go in there and he's got to fix the economy. First and foremost, fix the border, build up our military. But he worries me on foreign policy. He does not see the worthiness of supporting Ukraine, which makes me think the Russians are going to hold out long enough until Donald Trump wins. So he thinks they're going to get out of it. Well, the next debate, we could have Donald Trump on the stage. Here's the criteria. White House hopefuls will have to reach 4% in two national polls or reach 4% in one national poll, and 4% in two statewide polls. That's what Tim Scott wanted. He said, I'm spending all my time in the early states, and you want me to get a high mark on a national poll. It's not right. That's not the way we're doing it. Uh, And those two would be New Hampshire, Iowa, Nevada, or South Carolina. The four states that lead off the Republican presidential uh, calendar. So there you go. It's going to be significantly harder. Right now, you lost Asa Hutchinson this time. Everybody else is in. We'll see if it'll be for next time. And the theory is from Governor Sununu and other experts, until it becomes a one-on-one or a one-on-two, Donald Trump will continue to have a 40-50 point lead. And listen, he might not be he might not be catchable. That might indeed be the case. Yesterday, I don't think he helped himself talking about Mark Milley and sometimes, you know, by the way he was talking, by contacting China on January 6th instead of well, focusing on here, said that's treasonous. There were times in which uh, you'd be executed for that. And then people run headlines. President will execute uh, Mark Milley on this. 
That's not what he said, but he's saying that that's how bad he looked at that phone call to China. But if I'm the, pre- the if I'm the former president, stay out of the news. Do your campaigning. Talk about everything you did. Don't talk about revenge. Because people don't want to be a part of anybody's revenge program. They want to know you're going to fix the country. So do not talk about revenge. Even though you were shown a gun with your face on it, you can't say you're going to buy it because of all the indictments. But just play a conservative, Mr. Former President, and let Joe Biden lead the news cycle. It'll work for you. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Business, that's going to be the home of debate number two with seven candidates on the stage, six men uh, and one woman. It's going to be excellent. I know it is. And Stuart Varney is going to be one of those hosts. But right now, uh, David Asman's filling in for him as he's out in Los Angeles, uh, Simi Valley, trying to get uh, get ready. I'm sure he is for the big debate tomorrow night, which uh, the former president said was not highly rated. It was extremely highly rated, 13 million, 13 million, and then let alone all the repeats it got. So the president wasn't hurt by not going into it, but people that were helped by it, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, and definitely Nikki Haley. On the East Coast, Brian Kilmeade joins me. Now, sorry, I kept you waiting for five seconds, Brian. So sorry. Uh, let's start forgiven. with uh, your, your favorite person in the world, Ana Navarro. She's co-host of The View. I know you try to catch it every day, or DVR it. She just urged President Biden to take his percent, his recent bad polling percentage seriously. Watch this. You cannot take the Hispanic vote for granted because you're running against a racist. You can't take the woman vote for granted because you're running against a sexual harasser and sexual assaulter. (laughs) You can't take the black vote for granted because you're running against a racist. racist. I think Joe Biden needs to look at this poll, not be afraid of it, but yes, learn from it. People need to feel that the economy is better. The economy is better. Two stronger years of Mm -hmm. job growth. Mm -hmm. But it's not enough to say it. People need to feel it. Well, here's what people feel, Brian. An ABC Washington Post poll found 44 percent of Americans say they are worse off financially under Biden. So how do Biden or Navarro change people's feelings? Uh, Number one, uh, the problem is, and people point to, yeah, President Obama had the same numbers. He was able to bounce back. George W. Bush, in the middle of the Iraq war, was able to bounce back against John Kerry. The problem is the president of the United States, uh, every day that he speaks in public, he makes a major gaffe. He's not capable of doing what Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and uh, George W. Bush did. That speak on his own behalf. Uh, go to uh, five stops a day. Uh, go out there and convince people that you do have a better program and the other guy is much worse because the president is not able to perform, speak, or give interviews or convince people. He spent the whole summer, David, you know this, on Fox Business telling everyone that Bidenomics is great. And the American people say it absolutely is not. He's got 23% approval rating in that same poll from that. And why? Because overall, inflation's down. But it's still up higher than it was when he took office. It's double. And overall, it's about around 17%. So when people go shopping, they're not looking for a 30-second ad. They're looking for a affordable for affordable groceries. Now, yeah. gas is up to 388 It doesn't matter that you told me Bidenomics is great. If I'm in California, $6.30 for regular gas. It doesn't matter what you tell me. I'm going to make my own opinion up when it comes to dollars and cents. But I do think 
that they had no answer for this poll. And the that yeah. bar, I believe that the Washington Post and ABC are running from this poll, which is insane. Yeah. But, but but what you're saying is that even if he was able to lie better about the economy or something, he could do it, but he's just not up to the job. I mean, the, the president of the United States, the most important job in the world, it could be argued, is being run by somebody who's not up to the job. That's a scary situation we're in. Not going to get better. And Kamala Harris's approval rate, his is 37, hers is 34. And while yeah. the border falls apart at a time in which we've never seen before, uh, we've never seen anything like this, she is not the, only the not, issue. She is not doing the job. And they yeah. just gave her the gun, the, the, the gun job, as we have this new office for gun right. violence. She's running that, probably ineffectively. All right. Well, quickly, well, we were going to run a soundbite. We don't have time for it. But Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, is deploying 150 National Guardsmen now to help respond to the migrant crisis in New York City. That's not going to help anything, is it? You know what they're doing? Predominantly, they're going to be rounding up Venezuelans who have until the th- if they came here before July 31st, theoretically, and they're going to be bringing them downtown to office space they rented with our tax dollars and start getting them ready for the workforce, help them fill out forms because they now have a temporary uh, visa for at least 18 months so we can get to get them jobs. They're going to be escorting them back and forth. Plus, look at the violence over the weekend at the Roosevelt Hotel. Look at that cop that pulled over a drunken illegal immigrant and then that drunk, the 24-year-old, bit off the end of his finger. All these things to back up our police officers are overtaxed and underpaid. And while we're spending $1.3 billion on hotel rooms for the illegal uh, illegal immigrants. We got got 10 seconds, but... Very quick solution to a lot of the problems. Just undeclare New York a sanctuary city, right? Absolutely. And the right to shelter and on the border, start pressuring Mexico with tariffs the same way Guatemala and others. You lose your aid if you don't control your border. And that will begin to take the pressure off. Begin. And then you got to go. There's a bunch of different waves to this. But we see how it could work. Not just a wall, but that's part of it. Not just tariffs, but that's part of it. Brian Kilmeade, the great. Thank you very much for being here, Brian. Have a great show. The you, rest of it. You too, David. Thank you. Uh, Logan, you are listening in Arizona. Hey, Logan. I am. Hey, Brian. A great show. Just two quick points. You kind of touched on the whole MAGA thing. I mean, Binder, uh, Kareen, uh, Kareen, uh, the uh, press secretary always brings up MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. And I wish Stephen Ducey would push back one time and say, what does MAGA actually mean to you when you refer to the, you know, a congressman or a senator or the House of Republicans? Because it means make America great again. And if that's extremist for, for Biden, then uh, we have to kind of uh, reorientate ourselves because that's all it means. It doesn't mean far right. Um, the next point I wanted to make is John Fetterman. They're, they're changing the rule for one guy. Why can't the Republicans just all come in one day in flip-flops and a tank top and swim shorts and just make, a, make an astounding point that this is ridiculous and it's emblematic of the country? Democrats trying to appease to one person or the one percenter by changing all of these rules, uh, you know, the, the transgender and sports policy, and it goes on and on and on. It's, it's catering to the very, very small minority of people, and I'm just tired of it. Well, they're going to bat for the wrong people and the wrong causes. We're going to see what's going to happen. But, I mean, I would not get uh, too hung up in, in these labels. I think people are figuring out a lot of this stuff themselves, and they're not getting caught up in the marketing and the vilification. I think people, uh, I think people are going to see the policies. Don't play into it. I would not dress down uh, and make a big show of it. And I think a lot of Democrats are upset about this. 
about the dress code thing. Dick Durbin came out and said it's a mistake, and he should have been consulted. I think others feel exactly the same way. They're proud of their jobs. They do not want to dress like a, a run-down gym member or a homeless guy. They, they don't want to be like Fetterman, believe me. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Appreciate it. There's a lot going on. You know, the President of the United States is going to be picketing uh, now with UAW workers over in Michigan. Even though he was asked there reportedly to go there Labor Day, he said he couldn't have time. Now he's online with them. Why? I think it has everything to do with it. Donald Trump telegraphed what he's doing tomorrow when he should be debating. He is going to be giving a speech to a lot of those auto workers and the working class and those supporters over in Detroit because he considers himself a working class uh, president. I also got to point out, too, that um, that Congressman Jim Jordan is leading a delegation in Chicago right now. They're having a hearing on crime in Chicago not one Democrat has shown up, but a lot of Democrats are telling their story uh, about being victims of violence and what could be done. It seems like the cities have fallen apart and nobody seems to care. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And so today under my leadership and under my direction, New York National Guard will deploy an additional 150 members to support the asylum seeker mission. 250 National Guard members will focus solely on case management. There you go. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, You have Kathy Hochul pointing out the fact that the situation is so bad, we need another 200 National Guardsmen to go with 1,000 National Guards, many of which have to be brought into downtown New York at office space that we leased in order for them to go get a job if they're Venezuelan. You believe that? Number two. Before I let you go, do you think Speaker McCarthy will weather this? I do, and I, I mentioned before, I don't think anybody wants this job. Uh, it is a horrible, <laughs> you know, herding cats is a very difficult process, and when you've got cats with big egos in this building, uh, it is very difficult to do. Ken Buck, debate two is tomorrow. We look at the Trump lead, the attacks, the rest of the field, and who could emerge from the surviving seven on stage to give Trump a real run. All this is the House-led GOP is about to stop their momentum cold by shutting down the government. Number one. Two of the great artists of our time representing the groundbreaking legacy of hip-hop in America, LLJ Cool J. Uh, by the way, that boy's got, that man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. So much wrong with that statement, alienating a key group with the crass comments and ignorant policies alienating more daily. We look at the numbers and the rise of a third party that could just kill his re-election. Uh, let's bring in Mike Rogers, a former congressman who now wants to be the next senator uh, from Michigan. What about those last comments, uh, Congressman, uh, about Joe Biden in front of a, a group of uh, hip-hop artists and supporters celebrating uh, de- decades in existence, LL Cool J, one of the founders, and I'm screwing up his name? Well, does this surprise anyone? I mean, this has been a regular occurrence. When doesn't he screw up someone's name? Might be a shorter playlist. Uh, uh, listen, he he is losing his his sense of direction and place, and and I cannot believe that the people surrounding this uh, this president are actually keep keep just shoving him out there for this embarrassment. 
it's it's a little bit sad to watch. It is. Uh, but, you know, if he's going to go out there and try to win back the black community, evidently he's dropped 18 points in the black community. You show up at a hip-hop event, and, and what you do is you try just to read the prompter. That's it. You, you don't know, have to pretend to be a hip-hop enthusiast. Just respect it. Exactly. You know, the, the interesting thing is, and I think why his points are going down, is in the, there was just a recent poll, I believe it was by the Detroit Chamber of Commerce, the number one issue uh, that uh, concerned black women, uh, at least in the state of Michigan, is crime. It's pretty hard to argue. You, if this is why they're, the, he and the Democrats are dropping like stones in the, uh, in the black community around the country. And I really believe this is an opportunity for Republicans to have conversations about how we can make their communities safer. You can't have economic prosperity. You can't have a good education. You can't have upward mobility if you are terrified from leaving your house and trying to get to a grocery store. And today uh, you see the committee, uh, Jim Jordan's committee is down there in Chicago having a hearing about what's going on. And what they just decided to do in Illinois is get rid of cash bail, except you're an extremely violent criminal and a danger. But you have carjackers getting out, robbery suspects uh, allowed to get out. Nobody's allowed to hold anyone. Yeah, this is this is all very dangerous. And remember, that's all a sliding scale. So if you're you committed murder, yep, you're obviously very violent. But if you only stuck a gun in someone's face, well, maybe that's not so violent. You can just see how this is such a slippery slope, uh, and why we have such huge crime problems all over. Matter of fact, you look at the state of Michigan; we have eight of the top fifty most violent cities in America. This, I mean, this is crazy. It's nuts. And here's the good news, Brian. I don't know if you noticed that the mayor of Dallas. Uh, Democrat flipped parties, yep. because, and the number one reason, crime and safety, because the Democrats have candidly lost their minds. You cannot let criminals run your neighborhoods, or they'll chase you out of your stores, they'll chase you, chase you out of your schools, they'll chase you out of your neighborhoods. It's just, this is, they really have, I don't, I am not even sure where they've anchored this position Mm -hmm. other than to let criminals run wild in communities and it's dangerous and people are terrified. And I think they're also fed up. You know, a lot of people believe, you know, the whole defund the police, everyone now running from those statements. But when you say, when you're not going to support the police, when you don't uh, enforce law and order, that is like defunding the police because nobody wants to do the job. They're not respected and they're not allowed to do actually do their job because everyone is looking down there, um, you know, look, looking looking down at them, expecting them to do things they're not capable of. So meanwhile, if you look at President Biden's numbers, he's down 17 points with blacks. He's down to 63, 18 points with Latinos down to 43. He is down with people who have high school diplomas down 17. So independence, he had one. He is now uh, as of he is now down 14 with independence. All that should give Republicans great hope. But the same Republicans are looking to shut down the government because five don't even want to do a continuing resolution. And and the Speaker McCarthy did not oversee the uh, the construction of 11 appropriations bills. This could be damaging to you and your hopes as senator. Well, it's, it's not helpful. And so one of the reasons and, and I've always sensed this we're in these communities around Michigan. One of the uh, several of the reasons one crime is you're absolutely right. They say, wait a minute, Democrats aren't doing that right. Uh, B, the president of the United States is running around the country saying, I am, you know, isn't the economy great when the average family is paying $700 a more per month for groceries and gasoline? And by the way, that's all going to get worse. Uh, 
and I do think that a government shutdown just doesn't look good for us. Uh, listen, the government spends way too much money. It takes, on average, 20 average uh, federal tax-paying Michigan citizens to pay for one federal employee inside the Beltway. People know it's broken. They know it has to change. We have to do two things. You have to cut spending, but you also have to restructure the way government operates. It's, it's the last place in the world that's ever been right-sized and modernized. People know it. Intuitively, they know it. And so when you do something like this to prove your point, my argument is, are you doing the point any good, or are you jeopardizing all the progress we can make by sending more Republicans, finally getting the budget under control, finally yeah. reorganizing government so it's smaller and more efficient? So you know we're getting 12,000 across the border right now, and we're seeing yesterday some dramatic events where children were going underneath razor wire were screaming, and they finally had to cut it at the Rio Grande. 12,000 a day. No help is on the way, except they're sending some National Guards troops who are not allowed to touch anybody or do anything. So here's Ronnie Jackson in Texas at Eagle Pass, where it's the worst. Cut 17. We just got, we went to a detention or a processing facility just now, and they told us that the, the facility was made for 1,000 people. It's 5,000 people that they're processing that facility today. 5,000 people almost today. 70% of those are unaccompanied males. 70% of, 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 of that number. This is crazy what's going on right now, and I cannot believe that the Biden administration is not only letting this happen, they are facilitating it. They are actively working hand in hand with the Mexican cartels to create the disaster that's coming to this country. I mean, I wish you could say that he is hyperbolic, but he's actually telling the truth. That's just one facility. No, it's, you said border. I'm, do we have a border? I, I must have missed that in the last two years. I know. You cannot be a great nation if you can't secure the people and things coming across your border. And we know that that southern border is porous for both fentanyl, other drugs. We know that uh, human trafficking is at an all-time high. That's coming across the southern border. We know that there, there has now been the biggest increase in exports of cocaine and heroin and other things from Central and Latin America coming north. I mean, all of the problems that we knew that took us down, even in the 70s when we said, hey, we can't do this anymore, guess what? They, boy, those Democrats love those policies, and they brought them back with vigor. You have to control the border. We don't know who those people are. We don't know what their intentions are. Are, is there room for people who want to come here and work? Yes, but you don't do it by throwing open the border. You do it by an orderly process. We're not even close to that. We have to secure the southern border for our own security and safety. So the UAW strike's been going on. Evidently, Ford is the closest to getting a deal, but the other two aren't. President Biden realizing Trump is going to speak in Michigan, your Michigan Wednesday, Detroit. He was down. He's down there today. This is what he said yesterday. Cut 22. I think the UAW gave up an incredible amount back when the automobile industry was going under. They give everything from the pensions on, and they saved the automobile industry. <clears throat> and if you take a look at the significant increase in salaries for the executives and growth of the industry, they should benefit from it. So, yes, I support, I always support the UAW. Your thoughts? Do you, where do you stand, Mike Rogers? Well, listen, I, do I think that they have some room for, for pay and other benefit improvements? Yes, I probably, yes. Do, they, do I think that they're going to get a 32-hour work week and a 46% raise? They have to remember, somebody has to be able to buy that car after it's built. 
the costs of that are just prohibitive. So I think that they'll get there. My, my biggest concern is most of the reason that they're protesting, and it's the unsilent, unsaid event, is this artificial mandate and standards coming out of Washington, D.C., on a whole host of things, new mandates the car have to have, raise the cost, and you're going to have to drive an electric vehicle. Oh, by the way, we can't plug it in because we don't have an electric grid quite uh, ready for all of those cars. And oh, by the way, 85% of everything processed in an electric car happens in China. And oh, by the way, it's going to take about half, half of the people that you see working, building cars now are going to go away. You know, this is a really devastating thing for the future economy of a state like Michigan, but the entire country. We have to be able to build things. We cannot cede our future to China. That's exactly what Biden's doing. That's I call this the uh, the uh, apology tour. He's going to have to come and apologize for raising your cost of gas and groceries by 700 bucks a month. Uh, he's going to have to apologize for mandating cars a that people don't want. That's going to take half of your jobs, UAW marchers. Uh, and he's going to have to apologize for actually watching the country deteriorate uh, in crime-ridden cities all over the country. Uh, I mean, this this should be a wake-up to Americans, UAW members, workers, black Americans, mm-hmm. Hispanic Americans. Everybody needs to take a look at this and say, you know what, this is not working. And so I'd be curious to have, have, hear what he has to say today uh, if he can, if he's walking on the the uh, the, the strike line, um, again, he should be apologizing to everybody. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things, too. We also know that Ford has stopped their deal, uh, evidently, with the, the electric batteries. They suddenly paused a massive battery project that Republicans are probing. And that you, I'm not sure what you have access to, but uh, Ford evidently announced Monday they would stop because uh, Fox Business is reporting that some of their parts in this construction is a deal with China. I mean, I don't even blame Ford. They they were told, go get your own rare earth. We're not going to tell you to go get your own batteries, go get your own manual, go get your own rare earth. We're not going to let you mine it. So it looks like Ford might have cut a deal with China. Obviously, that's against our national interest. Ford did cut a deal with China. I, I'm with you. I You know, some people are mad at Ford. Be mad at the government of the United States of America under the Biden administration and Democrats and everybody and all their allies who said you must drive an electric car. Knowing we didn't have an electric grid to support it, knowing we didn't have the critical minerals we need. Matter of fact, you you absolutely are seeding our economic future to the Chinese. Yes, the Chinese were involved in that plant. There's another plant there called Goshen, which is a battery plant that is wholly owned practically by the Chinese. And oh, by the way, uh, they are going to export those profits back to China and Ford, you know, not Ford, but other companies have been interested in this Chinese plant subsidized by U.S. taxpayers, run by the Chinese. I mean, this is the, the – can you imagine if we did this during the Soviet Union time? We allowed Russians to come and build things and uh, be in charge of our economy? I mean, uh, no. I guarantee, I guarantee if this thing – we wouldn't have lasted very long. Why we think that this is okay? What, that money goes back to Beijing. They modernized their nuclear arsenal. They have now built a bigger Navy than the United States Navy. They have a bigger army than the United States Army. They're weaponizing space. And we just continue to whistle past the graveyard uh, as we as we force these American companies, not we, the Biden administration, to do things that are not in our best interest. And by the way, it doesn't even help the environment the way they say it does. By the way, this is just announced. Cory Booker has become the fourth Democratic senator to tell Robert Menendez to resign, to step down. 
uh, after his criminal indictment. Uh, from what you know, would you recommend the same thing? Well, I mean, I think everybody deserves their day in court. I mean, it is pretty damning. Um, you know, the one thing that bothered me most, I read most of that affidavit, uh, is this notion that, and, and again, these are allegations by the government. He does have the right to defend himself. But when he, they sold, apparently what the allegation is that he sold, he and his wife, uh, an embassy list of all the employees oh my God. to the Egyptian government. Now, you know, bribery is bad, and it, we should hold it in high contempt, and we should you know, take those people and put them in jail because they sold their mm. public trust for money. But, boy, that's just about as close to treason as you can get. And let me tell you why. Got it. Mike they Rogers, the, best, I'm yeah, have to end I, it there. best of luck in your Senate run. Thanks. All right. Mike Rogers, right in the middle of the, the eye of the storm over there in Michigan. Don't move. When we come back, I'll be able to take some of your calls, 1-866-408-7669. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back. Let's go out to Steve on WABC. Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, you know, you were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, the city is being uh, taken over by the asylum seekers and that, uh, you know, all of these hotels are, are making out like bandits, which, in fact, they are. I mean, I, I deal with a number of these locations um, with my business, and um, they're raking in the, 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 these rooms at top rates. And on top of that, they are doing all of the laundry as far as the housekeeping supplies are concerned, the, the, the towels, the bedding, all of that. Amazing. They're getting three meals a day. They're getting snacks. Everybody seems to have a moped. And I'm blaming not only uh, the president and uh, the governor and the mayor for just, you know, for New York City's sake, but what about all the NGOs that are definitely, you know, uh, supplying the funds? How do these people get mopeds? I have no idea. It's incredible. But do you see the money? The bill? It's billions of dollars. You believe this? I mean, it's it's incredible. And if you want to get rid of the sanctuary city status, you want to give the right to shelter status, then I'm going to start feeling bad for the city. But until they get rid of those policies and at least make the move to do it and, and hire the lawyers to make it happen, I have no patience for it. And it ju- it's real bad. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a national security issue. Uh, it's an issue that uh, some, I think, rightly believe that Democrats in the White House are not as focused on as they want. It makes you also wonder why we're four or five days away from a government, the government not having enough funds to pay border security personnel. They should get to that. But that does not cloud the fact, nor do I make that as a political point. We need to address this issue as a country and Democrat. If the White House does not address it, Brett, I think we will look back if we don't, if Democrats don't get reelected in November. This will be one of those issues. 
Uh, that he was talking about immigration, and there's really one party to blame on that, and so many are paying the price in that party. Democratic mayors and governors, Democratic mayors over on the border, and Democratic mayors in major New York cities, and the governor of Massachusetts still has declared a state of emergency. Uh, joining us now, man who anchors all over the channel and reports on it, too, from D.C., Mike Emanuel. Mike, first off, your reaction to the amount of people now asking questions in the press room about the border. Yeah, it's interesting because for a while there, when the mainstream media wasn't covering the story, when we were posted out there 24-7 out in Eagle Pass and other hot spots along the border, it was easy for them to say, oh, there's nothing to see there. Uh, you know, next question, move on to something else. But now when you have mainstream media outlets calling it a crisis at the border, a disaster and using that kind of language, um, you know, it's a story for everybody. And uh, the president's very vulnerable, as we saw in the polling over the weekend. What is approval on the border is, what, 23 um, percent? It's it's a disaster. And so I don't think they can ignore it any longer. And and their borders are uh, may need to get down there and make some things happen because uh, it is election season, Brian. And, and by election season, there's a lot of traditional Democratic outlets who seem to be questioning Joe Biden. Uh, yep. One of which is, you know, Dave Ignatius a couple of weeks ago came out and said, you know, he shouldn't run. We know the polls show most of the American people want another option. Most of the Democrats want another option, 60 percent. Mary Catherine Hamm pointed out, too, that Jeff Bezos, who owns The Washington Post, where Ignatius works, also seems to be off the Biden bandwagon. Cut 11. Mm-hmm. What's the play by Bezos? Because on one one hand, he says that Biden should step down or Ignatius says Biden should step down. But then we have Max Boot come in with the the second punch that says there's no one to replace him because he specifically has and picked a very weak VP that everyone sort of acknowledges, hey, this won't work out very well. So he's really put the Democratic Party in a bind. Um, And there are very real weaknesses that you see in this poll. Look, do I think a 10 point lead as an outlier, for sure. But they're looking at it and and going, is this an indicator of things to come? And I don't think that they're wrong to be scared about that. Uh, So, I mean, that's what people are saying. But Washington Post, ABC, it's the personification of mainstream publications and polls, right, Mike? 100 percent, Brian. It makes you wonder if there is an elder statesman in the Democratic Party that's going to go have lunch with the president and tell him the gig is up. I don't know who that would be. Would it be a Bill Clinton type or somebody somebody with some status and stature for decades in the party? You know, do they go to the president? Because otherwise, like everybody's reluctant to jump in to challenge the sitting president in the Democratic Party, because then you look like the jerk. Right. But once somebody goes to him and says, you're not going to win, Mr. President, you've you've done wonderful things, but it's time to retire, you know, sip your jello and go play a little golf in Delaware and enjoy your life. Um, then I bet you would see everybody and their brother jump in, various governors and lots of people who would love to have the opportunity to run for president to present a new face, a new voice for the Democratic Party. I mean, it's absolutely because he's he can't rally like past presidents. And just try to change his message because he's every day when he speaks, he always makes a major gaffe. Yesterday was a couple of days ago, they had a little cool J calling him a boy right after. Mm-hmm. He's already down 18 points in the black community. Now there's some legitimate fear that Robert F. Kennedy and Cornell West is already there in the so-called Green Party. Robert yep. F. Kennedy might jump to no labels party or a third party. He's already got 15 percent of Democrats. Among the people who say this is going to be problematic is Hillary Clinton. Evidently, they had a private meeting and say, you've got to find a way to keep these third parties out. I don't know if this is possible. 
Uh, 100% agree with you. People are just not happy. I mean, and, and the Robert F. Kennedys of the world and the Cornell West of the world look at polling that says people want an alternative. And so they say, why not me? And maybe they know that they won't become president. But if you have to turn the page, close the chapter on the Biden era, you know, then they realize there's an opportunity there for change in the country and and feeling like, you know, he's not up to the task for another four years. So what about this shutdown that could be coming our direction? It seems as though Kevin McCarthy is is helpless to stop it. Can you bring us inside the X's and O's? Because there's no doubt about it. Justifiably, Republicans will be blamed for this. One hundred percent. And so what Kevin McCarthy's trying to do is trying to show his rank and file members that he's serious about bringing up the individual spending bills that would cut spending in all the various departments, because um, they're worried that if they just punt and do another 30 day, you know, continuing resolution to fund the government, that it's just going to be on autopilot for another year, you know, ultimately that you just keep kicking the can down the road. And so McCarthy's trying to get some of these individual spending bills votes on the floor this week, but then to signal like, hey, guys, I need another month, and then we can vote on all these bills um, without taking the chance of some on his right flank calling for his head. And so he's really, you know, walking a tightrope, a high wire act um, as we head to the end of the fiscal year. And so he's trying to make sure that they don't call for his head on the right, um, but they also keep the government open because he does feel like they lose all leverage once the government's closed, that ultimately the Republicans in the House will have to come back because, you know, the other two thirds of government in Washington is controlled by the Democrats, the president in the White House and also the United States Senate. And so they have limited leverage. And if they're divided, they have no leverage at all. Well, it's going to be interesting to see because Joe Biden comes in and he definitely has a uh, he's bleeding voters, and this mm-hmm. would certainly give him a, a life preserver. Here's yeah. what Ken Buck said. He's one of the holdouts, along with Matt Gates, along with Matt Rosendale, and, and maybe I think Congressman Gonzalez of Texas, cut 13. Before I let you go, do you think Speaker McCarthy will weather this? I do, and I, I mentioned before, I don't think anybody wants this job. Uh, it is a horrible, you know, herding cats is a very difficult process, and when you've got cats with big egos in this building, uh, it is very difficult to do. And is there any any movement there? I mean, guys like Jim Jordan and Freedom Caucus members understand. Scott Perry, understand that you don't, we don't have a choice. Chip Roy, don't have a choice. Others, yep. these five, are just holding out saying, I just won't spend anymore. Yeah. Jim Jordan came out on Maria Bartiromo's show on Sunday Morning Futures and said, you know, let's buy 30 days to finish up all these spending bills. And so he was very much on McCarthy's side in this deal. Uh, I think that was an excellent point about nobody wants the job. It is the toughest job in Washington right about now. And so, you know, you've got people with a lot of different ideas. You've got a very, very slim majority. And, you know, all it takes is four or five holdouts and you're powerless. And so um, McCarthy, you know, in frustration said that he thought some were trying to blow up the place last week. Um, he's still cracking away. He's got he until Saturday to, to, you know, basically come up with a, a solution. What about the fact that the president's going to be going in Michigan today, yep. shortly, He's going to be picketing about noon Eastern time with the auto workers, clearly taking a side 
And I, I mean, online, we've never seen this before. Right. Th- to me, it has to do with Trump to decide to speak on Wednesday. When Trump made his announcement, within 48 hours, he reversed himself and is going. Yeah. And Debbie Dingell from uh, Michigan, from car country, who's a Democrat, a loyal Democrat, did not sound very happy about him going out there. You know, she basically says we should let them talk, the companies and the unions, to work something out. And that the whole idea of the president of the United States getting in the middle of it, it just could make it even messier. And, you know, she obviously doesn't want her constituents to be out of work for longer. And and look, We've had problems with the auto industry in this country staying in business. And so, you know, now the unions are saying, all right, we want some more money because we, you know, basically worked with the companies to try to get through a crisis point. But if you give them a lucrative package, do you risk the entire American auto industry once again? Absolutely. Mike Emanuel, it's going to be interesting to see where the president goes and how he's doing. Have you heard anything from among Democrats about a possible Ted Kennedy-like surge, somebody who's established that took on Jimmy Carter. Have you thought? Of, have you heard anything like that? Well, I think there's no question that Gavin Newsom is dying for somebody to ask him to run. Um, I think Phil Murphy in New Jersey would love to run if if things were cleared out. I have not heard of somebody who's saying, you know, no matter what, I'm running um, because then you could probably look like the villain if you're potentially blowing up Biden's reelection effort. Um, So I think a lot of folks are waiting around to see if somebody goes to the president, somebody trusted, somebody, whether it's Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, somebody like that goes to him and says, you're going to lose. You should sail off. Lastly, Senator uh, Booker, about 20 minutes ago, put out a statement. He's calling for Menendez, his fellow New Jersey senator, to resign. What does that mean? Huge, Um, because he was quiet. Initially, Phil Murphy came out. A bunch of Congress members from New Jersey came out and said he should go. But we hadn't heard from Cory Booker until now. Cory Booker has huge approval in New Jersey, uh, my home state. And um, basically what I've been told by folks in New Jersey is on the generic ballot right now, Republicans are actually looking pretty good. The windmills off the coast of New Jersey have been a disaster. Teaching gender in the first grade has been a disaster. Biden's been a disaster. And so they've got legislative elections coming up, and they feel like Menendez corruption plays terribly for them. And so having Cory Booker come out and a bunch of other senators coming out saying it's time to go, uh, he may have to change his defiant tone. When you see those gold bricks, when When you hear about cash stashed all over the house, when you see pictures of the Mercedes, people can see that. People can sense that's corruption. And, you know, he got off once before on a hung jury. That just means one juror was not going to vote to convict him. This is a lot more plausible. It looks like corruption. It smells like corruption. It feels Soprano-esque. And so I think Cory Booker coming out means big trouble for him. All right, uh, Mike, always great. Wherever uh, Wherever I see in the channel, you're always doing a great job. Thanks so much. You're the best. Thank you, Brian. All right, Mike Emanuel from D.C. When we come back, your turn, one 408 7669 Let's see. Uh, Jim Jordan's uh, committee is out in Chicago. The president's out in Michigan. The uh, the candidates, the Republican candidates are out in Simi Valley, California. A busy time. I'm in New York. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's got a 56% disapproval, the highest of his presidency. And 74% of registered voters say they have major or moderate concerns about the president's age and mental fitness. How troubling is that? I get the polling that you're laying out. I get that, but we we can't we can't be focused on that. 37% approved. I hear you, but it is. Look, our focus is going to be on um, on what we can do to continue to deliver for the American people. Polls are polls, right? They are going to be all over the place. That is uh, KJP. She has nothing to say about this. She's not supposed to be playing politics, but polls are impossible to ignore, especially when those are as bad as the Washington Post poll was. And the NBC poll did them no favors either. That's the situation. You can say whatever you want from the podium. You can tell other people that it's not true. But you got to also notice that it looks like you're losing to President Trump, who's been indicted four times. And you lose him by six in the NBC poll to Governor Nikki Haley, and we got a big debate tomorrow on FBN. Uh, before we get to the calls at one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine, just a quick announcement: uh, Teddy and Booker T. How two American icons blaze a path for racial equality. I think you're going to love the book. You can pre-order it now. Also, I put together shows where I talk about all my history books, interact with the audience. It's the most fun I could possibly have. Red Bank, New Jersey. You can go get tickets. Go to BrianKillMe.com. That'll be November ninth. Uh, Pontevedra Concert, Concert Hall, uh, Concert Hall, WOKV, see a few tickets left. I'll be up there with Mark Kay. Um, and also uh, Huntsville, Alabama, that'll be November 18th. November 19th, the next day in Montgomery, Alabama. Don't know how far that is, but you can go to BrianKillMe.com for tickets there. You get a book with all these tickets. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on December 15th. The next day in Holland, Michigan. Uh, that'll be December 16th at Holland Civic Center Place, uh, Skokie, Illinois, in January 20th, and then in Joliet, Illinois, on the 21st in Rialto Square Theater. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. Hopefully I'll see everybody out there, and you get a book with that, and you can pre-order it now. Hey, Jerry, you're out in Chicago. Uh, what's on your mind? Hi, Brian. I know I told uh, your screener that I wanted to talk to you about the, the so-called money for uh, Ukraine, but... During your show, you had a guy talk about a potential uh, Democratic ticket. How about this one? How about the Democrats make a deal with Kamala Harris to take over Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat? They name Michelle Obama as the vice president. Biden resigns. Michelle becomes president, and she names Gavin Newsom as her running mate. I don't know. It could happen. I mean, if he names Michelle Obama, will certainly be a help. She's one of the few people that Kamala Harris could step aside for. Uh, I don't see any way. I don't even think they have that good of a relationship. I know that I believe that Michelle Obama knows that Joe Biden's a train wreck and knew it when he was there. I don't think there's a great relationship between the two. I think that if she's going to run, she would just run. And it would be because Joe Biden steps aside. But she has never, ever, no leak, no considering, no meeting with consultants, no, no curious dinners about running. I don't think she likes politics. I don't think she was for her husband running for president. So to me, I think they've turned the page in their lives. They live in a very luxurious life. They got a Netflix deal. She's got a book deal. She spoke in Germany over the weekend, made $750,000 for a one-hour speech. I just don't see it. Catherine in Washington. Hey, Catherine. Yeah, hi, Brian. Um, uh, bottom line is that um, my cousin in uh, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, he sent me a clip about how Kathy Hochul was um, 
harassed, basically, you know, protested at her presser. And everybody was calling, close the border. And they were black people saying, close the border. That's my number one thing. And nobody, I, you don't hear it on any kind of news station. So I have to get it from my, uh, my cousin in Brooklyn. My other thing is that the bottom line is this, and this is the bottom line. In the immortal words of James Carville in 1992, it's the economy, stupid. And that is what is going to drive this election in 2024. Period. Bottom line. Call it a day. Maybe. I, I do think the abortion surprised everybody last time. I thought that. Uh, and I think it'll be this time. But the most effective, and I never wanted to debate this. I know it's extremely personal. And it's a third rail of politics. But if it's going to be, it's going to be. If Republicans come back and just say, forget about weeks and just say, how about we agree on the week that the baby feels pain? You do that. And I'd love to see somebody come back and say, no, I want to go past that. Because America's pro-infant, pro-baby, but when it comes to abortion, they go, what week is the right week? And the Republicans had no answer. Maybe that should be their answer. All right. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Remember, I'll be back here every single day. I'll see you on Fox & Friends tomorrow. And don't forget One Nation Saturday night now at 9 o'clock, brand new time. We'll have a lot of exciting interviews coming your way. And Teddy and Booker T, available for pre-order. And you can also order on my website and get ready to have a pre-signed copy ready to mail. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.